I am monitored to respond to the name Robbie. Doc, is it a, is it a male or a female? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show... Uh, the ship is getting an incoming message from Altair 4. Just a sec. Spaceship, identify yourself. You're being tracked. United Planets podcast vessel Late Seating. Jason Harding commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. What do you wish here, cruiser? We've come to review the classic sci-fi movie Forbidden Planet to see if it lives up to its reputation of being good. I'm afraid that most people back on Earth think the film is old-fashioned and hokey. I, of course, appreciate your concern, but absolutely no assistance of any sort is required. Dr. Mobius, my orders are to review the film and... Let me repeat, I'm in no sort of difficulty here. Your best procedure will be to turn back at once without landing. Commander, if you sit down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. If you'll just supply me with landing coordinates, Dr. Mobius, I require landing coordinates. Very well, but I wash my hands of all responsibility. You may come in at 83-17-4 North, 148-21 West. Thank you. Commander, I strongly urge you to reconsider. Please permit me to recommend... Whatever, Dick. Sorry, Steve, we're going to land in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, I kind of explained what we do on the show. We're going to review Forbidden Planet, but that Dr. Morbius guy is a fucking asshole. It's, yeah, I, I, it's very unprofessional. It's almost as if he has a whole bunch of secrets down it's, there on that planet. Wow, and I, I guess we're going to find out soon enough. You know why we're going to find out? Because that's what we do on this show. That's, Segway. hey, you really tied that <laughs> together sh- nicely. On this show, we take a classic film and we see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad, even if it does have cool robots in it. Right, Steve? Yeah, that's right. Just because it's got a cool robot doesn't mean we're going to go easy on it. And unless you haven't guessed from the overly long opening skit, we're doing Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Okay, apparently that's inhabited by ghosts and goblins. <laughs> well, I can't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not Michael Winslow. I can't perfectly reproduce the the eerie. Score well, then I better get movie. Michael Winslow for this podcast. You be, I, I, hey, I bet he's available. I would shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to imagine trying to do a podcast with Michael Winslow. <laughs> Take it away, Michael. <laughs> okay, that was a, a chicken cocking a gun. <laughs> then he, and now a dog ran past, and eventually I'm sure a helicopter will show up, right? Hey, head scratchers, Michael Winslow is the sound effects guy from all them Police Academy movies. <laughs> anyway, we're doing Forbidden Planet, right, Steve? Yeah. A movie that sits at the captain's chair of our wheelhouse. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Although, strangely enough, uh, no captain's chair in the ship. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. He, yeah, he does stand a lot. I mean, there is a chair that the captain occasionally sits in, but could you call yeah, that a captain's chair? so does the chair? astrogator. Exactly. <laughs> See? Astrogator. <laughs> It's an alligator in space. <laughs> Captain, we have an astrogator off the port bow. Target blasted. Gentlemen, on instead of test pilots, I want to send alligators into space. Oh, uh, you sure about that, President Eisenhower? I already got a name for it, Astrogator. Well, we might as well just say yes. Once he thinks of a name for it, he never lets it go. 
<laughs> Great idea, sir. Yes. Five that... field technicians were killed trying to get the astrogator into into the pod. I mean, the thing is, we already designed these pods with chimps in mind. You ever, you ever try <laughs> to cram? The astrogator a... ate the chimps. <laughs> you ever try to cram a full-grown alligator into a seat designed for a chimp? It's not care. fun. Put the chimp and the astrogator in there at the same time, and then launch it. Film the whole thing. We'll make a million dollars. Whoever wins gets to be an astronaut. <laughs> we're gonna get around to reviewing this fucking movie yeah. in a second, there are... but we're stuck on this, guys. <laughs> Sadly, no alligators or chimpanzees in this movie, so we can't nope. use any of this. Nope. But, it's yeah. a classic film from 1956. Right, Steve? Yes, before there were alligators. Yeah. Do you have any trivia you'd like to share before um, I tell everybody who made it? I know that uh, the version that we see is actually a, a later draft of the screenplay. The original story was actually called Fatal Planet. Yeah, Fatal Planet. And it took place on the planet Mercury. Yeah, and there's a scene in which um, um, Alta is sitting being interrogated and then she crosses her legs and you can see her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, what are you going to do, arrest me for smoking space cigarettes? Okay, um, the last podcast I was in a mood. Now we're both in a we're mood. So... I have no idea where this review is going to go next. <laughs> we've so far we've we've established the title and the year that the movie came out. And then we went on a long bizarre tirade about space alligators, and now we've just kind of forcibly did a mashup between this movie and Fatal Attraction. There's a no basic instinct. Oh, basic instinct. Basic, I'm oh, sorry. we can. Th- hey, let's let's throw in some Fatal Attraction too. Mm. You didn't think you could just come to this planet and leave, did you? <laughs> I'm not going to be ignored, Commander Adams. No, please. We gotta nip okay. this in the bud. Okay, 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 okay. Alright, I'm telling everybody who made it. Are you Do ready? It. Do it. For- Forbidden Planet was directed by Fred M. Wilcox, produced by Nicholas Nafak, screenplay by Cyril Hume, based on a story by Irving Block and Alan Alder, and it stars Walter Pigeon as Dr. Edward Mor- Morbius. I didn't even know he had a first name, but I guess they do say it in the movie. Yeah, huh? yeah. Everyone just calls him Morbius. And he doesn't offer a red pill and a blue pill to these guys, but he could've. <laughs> he could've. He probably should've. Gentlemen, here is a red pill and a blue pill. Take a blue pill and I'm going to give you a tour of the planet. (laughs) Take the red pill and my id monster tears you apart. What pill did and, they take? Anne Francis as Altera or Alta Morbius. Leslie Nielsen as Commander John J. Adams or J.J. Adams. Warren Stevens as Lieutenant Doc Ostro. Jack Kelly as Lieutenant Jerry I Fuck Anything. Foreman. <laughs> Richard Anderson as Chief Quinn. Richard Anderson, you may recognize from The Six Million Dollar Man. He was Oscar Goldman. Ah, yes. Uh, Earl Holloman as Cook. Great job on that name, guys. Um, <laughs> What's his? They call him Cookie. They call him Cookie throughout the entire the entire movie. Yeah. So why why isn't his name Cookie? Because why that's is it Cook? the, that's the informal version that his friends used to refer to him by in the credits. <laughs> they, they ask wanted... him, "Hey Cook, you want to, how do you want to be? Do you want to be known as Cookie? Everyone calls you Cookie. No, my given name is Cook. <laughs> Look, it's just a coincidence that I happen to be the Cook. Okay, my Cook was Maybe... my father's name. Yeah. Maybe his name is Cook Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> and he a, wanted his first name up there. What a cruel universe in which this movie <laughs> takes place. George Wallace as Steve. Bob Dix as Gray. Jimmy Thompson as Younger Ford. Uh, James Drury as Strong. Frankie Darrow as the guy trapped inside of that incredibly heavy Robbie the Robot costume. <laughs> And Marvin Miller as the voice of Robbie the Robot. By the way, both of those people did not get credited. Instead, they put up, introducing Robbie the Robot, played by no 
no one. Fuck the people who brought him to life. Because he's real. <laughs> he's a real robot, little kids in the 1950s. He's real. You can go to and the mall and see him. He's going to be your best friend. And oh, by the way, this costume is going to get reused in fucking everything, because Hollywood does not throw shit away. No. Um, in fact, a lot of stuff from this movie gets reused in a lot of the movies. Including some uh, of the actors. Uni- <laughs> yeah, some of the actors. But uh, their uniforms appear in tons of other sci-fi. Yeah. All the way, all the way up into the 1980s. They, yeah. Those costumes get reused. Uh, it was narrated at the very beginning by Les Tremaine. Music by... <laughs> music? <laughs> Sounds. Music by <laughs> Bebe and Louis Barron. Now, um, I do know for a fact that they went with a kind of weirdo um, synthesizer freakout music for this entire movie. I'm not complaining because it really makes the movie different from anything else you'll ever see. Um, I can't even picture this movie with a standard soundtrack. No. To be quite honest. Um, but they also did it because they were like, we don't want to pay anybody for a soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Just get somebody to noodle around on a synthesizer. Uh-huh. That'll do Or it. whatever they had in the 1950s. Yeah, fucking theremin or something. Yeah. I don't know. Cinematography by George J. Fulsey. Edited by Ferris Webster. It was produced and distributed by Metro-Golden-Mayer. It was released on March 15th, 1956. Budget, $1,968,000. Box office, $2,765,000. So it wasn't like a mega hit. It wasn't like... It wasn't Star Wars. Wars money, but nothing yeah. is going to make Star Wars money until Star Wars it made its budget back and didn't make enough back for the, for there to be a glut of uh, hundreds of other highly polished sci-fi movies. No, right? no, and, and there was no Forbidden Planet too. Thank God, <laughs> the Wrath um, of kinda, Morbius. Kind of hard to go back considering the ending of this movie. Yeah, well, they would find what they would find another Forbidden Planet. See, oh, where Krell were still alive. Sure, why not? <laughs> they're on their way back to Earth, and you know they're like, "Hey, we've detected another planet. They say we're not supposed to land." And he's like, "We're la- we're gonna land. That's what we do. I we do land know on Forbidden that, Planets." Uh, the uh, James Cameron wanted to do a remake or mm. a reboot or a prequel or a something. It was something related to Forbidden Planet. It was a thing that they were going to do that that had to do with Forbidden Planet and uh, John J. Straczynski had written the screenplay and then that got abandoned and they walked away from it and uh, thank you Hollywood for coming to your senses I guess I don't know are we really going to remake Forbidden Planet Jesus Christ I have no no doubt that the producer just went there's no money in there there's not enough explosions how can we franchise this this is impossible it's too much like Star Trek yeah I mean, you know, you have to take a moment and consider how lucky we were that it didn't happen because they remade The Day the Earth Stood Still, for God's sake. I don't remember that. They did? Yeah. Oh. Starring starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's why I don't remember oh, it. Oh, now. I would also like to say that this movie was highly influential and it influenced someone who admitted that it was it influenced him and that is none other than Gene Roddenberry yeah. who went on to create Star Trek and he said this movie was very, 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 very like, fuck, I practically stole this movie <laughs> pilot of the, for the whole premise of Star Trek. He ran, you know, it was adorable that he felt he even needed to say it. <laughs> Cause anybody who's seen this and seen Star Trek can kind of put it together. He added some nice touches to his version, like women. Yeah. <laughs> as Thanks, officers. Gene. Thanks, Gene. And people who weren't white in space. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because this crew is lily white. I'm pretty sure they all came out of the same mold. Yeah. We need more kind of 30-ish white guys for this crew. We need about 20 of them. (laughs) 
put them in the costumes and stick them on the set. All right, Steve, let's get ready for DC. Don't know what that is. Uh, I have no idea. I don't know either. So many times during the movie, but we got to step into a thing and then turn into green light. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, we'll bounce around the ship. Cardinal is one guy. Was was said right? That's apparently that's what we're doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna travel faster than light. We're gonna go to another planet. We're gonna get eat. We're gonna get killed by uh, an invisible monster after falling in love with a girl who has no social graces. I guess doesn't know that women should know their place. (laughs) Yeah. What's her deal? We're going to get a robot to make gallon upon gallon of a highly addictive substance. And um, we're going to cast judgment everywhere. We're just judgment throwers. We have ray guns that have judgment on them. That's like, right. You're bad. <laughs> well, because we're representatives of the United Planet, not the Federation. No, we're, the, we're representatives of the normal thinker, thinking people. Who You're weird, Mor- Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> we're none of these high-minded Star Trek people. No, no. We're going to... Well, let's think about we're it. We're casting judgment well, over before everybody. Before we do it, before we do it, how much different would this have been if it have been Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I mean, probably not all that different Mm-mm. because Kirk was a little judgy his own self from time to time. <coughs> oh, yeah. I think what would have... Uh, we'll talk about that afterwards. Yeah. We, we, otherwise, we're just going to do the <laughs> entire plot but with Star Trek characters and no one wants to hear that. <laughs> and it'll be the best episode ever. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Let's 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 stand in our... our let's get ready and we're going to go super fast and then we're going to talk to a scientist who hates our guts. You ready? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Let's break open our our, our, our scripts from uh, William Shakespeare's The Tempest. <laughs> and let's rock it into the world of, or actually, it's not a rocket. It's a space. It's a flying saucer. It's exactly. Let's flying saucer our way into the world of Forbidden Planet. Steve, take the helm. Oh, yes, Captain. Astrogator uh, Steve. Astrogator Steve. <laughs> yeah, oh, I like that. I'm going to demand that people refer to me as that from now on. Um, well, a narrator explains to us what the deal is that yes. we're in the future. It's like 200 years in the future, and yeah. first humanity reached all of the different planets of the solar we went system. To the moon, and yeah, yeah, we were all over the place. And then we figured out how to travel faster than light, and we just started setting out into the galaxy. And, how did we figure that out? It doesn't matter. Uh, we figured some smart guy did some math, yeah. and he was like, That's We can how you just do it. travel faster than light now. Yeah, you just do it. Yeah. You know, you just do it. Einstein's dead. He's not going to stop you. you yeah, just do he's it. not there to fuck up your shit right. and ruin all your sci-fi. <laughs> exactly. Man, fuck you, Einstein. I want the ship to he go fast. He is such a buzzkill. Einstein is such a fucking sci-fi buzzkill. No, you can't travel that fast. Shut up, Einstein. I'm just having a good time watching Star Wars. Okay. Shut up! Go run a comb through your hair, you old bastard. Yeah, but you see, it's impossible. You'd need all the energy Shut in the universe to be... <laughs> <laughs> Don't you ever have fun? Don't you ever have fun ever? Yeah, I watch Beanie and Cecil. Oh, You're an idiot. God. <laughs> Anyway, so we 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 find ourselves <laughs> watching this uh, United Planet ship that looks like a, a flying saucer with yep. the incredibly sexy, memorable name C five seven D. Are you sure that's not a robot from Star Wars? I know, like what the hell? You couldn't name it like you know the Persephone or something. No, no, no. It's C five seven D. And they're on their way to Altair, and they've been flying in space. They left Earth like a year ago, and they're on their way to Altair for what the narrator just tells us is a special mission, like an important now, mission. Now, if they've been flying faster than the speed of light for a year, where the fuck are they? <laughs> they're on their uh, yeah, they're on their way to Altair, which is a, okay. a relatively close star 
car to Earth, but you don't really mm-hmm. get a sense of like you know how Which, far. Which, by the way, is, is my favorite Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song. <laughs> not on the soundtrack I'm for this movie. Out there and I... What? <laughs> it's not. They should re. They should re-release a special edition with that song on the soundtrack. Oh yeah, that'd be great. I mean, that one... then it'll turn into it'll turn into a, a, what is it, Dark Star? If we did that, <laughs> there you go. Come on, deep cuts, motherfuckers. <laughs> go find out what Dark Star go, is. Go Google it. You're what you're listening to this on a phone or a computer. <laughs> go look it up. Um, but yeah, so we meet we meet the the captain or the commander, I suppose, and mm-hmm. uh, and the the senior members of the crew, and that would be Commander Adams, who is Leslie Nielsen, and his senior officers like uh, Jerry, who is his second in command. Uh, Jerry's the astrogator. Yeah, Jerry's the astrogator. Lieutenant Jerry mm-hmm. Farman, and and so they're 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 almost out there. So they do the doc. Deep, yeah, doc doc Ostro, um, and chief chief Wiggins, chief and yeah. <laughs> Sure, and uh, I think we meet. I think I think Cookie floats around in there somewhere, so we establish. Yeah, him Cookie too. shows up for to give color commentary. Yeah, and you're like, okay, so you're, a, yeah, you're a character in this too. So because yeah. in this one they just do stuff and they don't terribly explain a whole lot of what they're doing in the ship. They're kind of like, hey, let's get ready. Okay, let's step into these things. What? Okay, they turn us green, and then there's a whole bunch of sound effects. And then Great. yeah, and then the ship is it's slower now. Which and is then good. Cookie shows up and goes, "I'm a drunk," and then leaves. <laughs> yeah, this will come up later. <laughs> Just setting something up. Um, so they they they're going to they're going to the fourth planet in the Altair system, and mm-hmm. they they reach the planet. They go they enter orbit. They scan uh, well, first for, for they life scan signs. The yeah, and there's not even cities or nothing. No, they don't see anything. And then well, what happens? Steve? Well, they they detect that they are being scanned by something on the surface. Something big. Yeah, twenty some, square miles. Twenty square miles. And uh, so they get on the radio, and they're like, "Hey, hey, we're a, we're we're an Earth ship. What's going on?" And a guy from the planet talks back and he's like, hey, this is uh, Morbius and don't come down here. It's bad. It's bad. And, and they're like, well, that's our mission. You you came here 20 years ago on this ship and we were sent from Earth to check if the people from this ship are okay. And we yeah, just came... 20 years later. Yeah, we just came to see no how rush. everything... <laughs> like, like, the president of Earth was like, whatever happened to that ship that we sent to Altair? <laughs> well, let's go find out. Um, mm. But Morbius is like, hey, we don't... Everybody's fine. We don't need any help. We're doing just fine. Please don't come here and the commander's like why <laughs> and the commander's like where should we land yeah Morbius he doesn't is, say why why shouldn't we come here he says just give me landing coordinators yeah. dick yeah, just, I, that's all I need I'm putting my ship down so shut up and tell me where to put it and he's mm-hmm. like okay you can land it here I can here. tell you where to put it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is this a public channel <laughs> And then they land. They land on the yeah. They they land and the the coordinates that they were given to land sort of puts them out in the desert, sort of on the outskirts of wherever that place mm-hmm. was that they detected. Um, yeah. And they're kind of you know they come out of the ship and they're kind of milling around, talking about yeah. setting up camp. What are they? The gonna Lord do? certainly makes some beautiful planets, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. A fella could get used to this. Green skies. Yeah, I prefer blue. I- <laughs> I want to stay here forever, Cappy. <laughs> well. <laughs> Come on, Skip. Let me stay here forever. Okay. <laughs> Take off all my clothes. So long, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> 
so they see this dust cloud approaching from far away uh-huh. and as it gets closer they realize it's a little car and it, it pulls up right next to the the ship and it's yeah. like a a, a a vehicle driven by none other than your friend and mine robbie the robot he's more my friend than yours okay you probably know him a little better <laughs> I love Robbie. Rob, well, I love me Robbie too. So I, love, I love Robbie too. And Robbie uh, makes his auspicious motion picture debut by getting yeah. off of the car and welcoming them to the planet. And he says, "Hey, I'm, yeah. I'm your taxi driver. I'm here to take yeah. you to Morbius." He's not terribly fast um, or graceful, but he's real polite. Yes, right, he, absolutely, and very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like, "Hi, I've been here to greet you and and take you away. Get in my car, yeah. and we'll go there. <laughs> Don't ask any questions." Yeah. So they do it, and then we cut to a wonderful matte painting and I just see it and I'm like oh enjoy enjoy relaxing condominium living on Altair 4 <laughs> exactly it, does, it looks like a billboard that somebody would paint to try and sell you you know this this planet yeah so so Commander Adams and Lieutenant Farman Jerry and, and Doc but, you know what I bet that's what the advertisement was in Blade Runner with the blimp flying over <laughs> off world colonies on Altair 4 where your thoughts murder people <laughs> oops Oh, that's a giveaway. Shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Forget I said that. In fact, I should have just edited this out of the ad entirely. What the hell am I doing? Look, here's a Japanese woman taking a pill. Yeah. I'm going to get fired for sure. Um, The mic is still on, Bob. What are you doing? (laughs) Don't you put that test away. I'm not a replicant. (laughs) Isn't it weird how we lost the ability to edit audio in the future? <laughs> that's the only explanation for why anybody else could hear this. Well, that's because they're in the blimp. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're doing a live read from the blimp. <laughs> uh, this was a terrible idea. How many more references are we going to pack? I don't into know. This we're show, not dude? even. We're not. They're barely off the spaceship. <laughs> um, okay, so they end up. They they arrive at Morbius's place, and it's 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 mm-hmm. Commander Adams and Jerry and Doc. And Morbius comes out, and he's like, "Hey, I guess you sorry want, about being a dick earlier. I guess you want to eat. Yeah, you want some. You want some food, and, and it'll be great. And while we're eating, I'll show you how awesome my robot is. Yeah, <laughs> um, he can do anything. He can uh, make food. He can replicate. He's a walking replicate. Yeah. He's like the entire Enterprise." in one robot. Yeah, you just feed him something and he analyzes it and he can make more of it whenever you want. Oh, here's another thing. Uh, Our garbage can here in in my house is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) You just throw something into it and it vaporizes. it disintegrates And And we have it out in the open for toddlers to touch. (laughs) (laughs) There's no safety measures at all. When he demonstrates that Robbie will obey every command, even destroy himself. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, but, um, um, hey, he can't kill people. And right. I'll prove that by giving him a gun, and then he'll vaporize a tree out in the yard. I didn't like that tree anyway. <laughs> yeah, fuck that tree. And I'm going to have him point the gun at you, Cappy, and uh, tell him to shoot you. And then he starts to short circuit, and he's like, he would have blown all of his circuits if if I had let that command go, but thankfully. And Robbie's not walking around going, one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate when he does that. <laughs> Morbius, I have asked you not to do that. Yeah. So after they've landed and after they've had a nice lunch and after they, he's just shown them the robot and, and, you know, the wonders of modern living there at the condominium complex on Altair 4, <laughs> they finally get around to asking, hey, where are all the other people? <laughs> yeah. And Morbius is like, oh, them. Uh, they're uh, dead from uh, stuff. They're dead <laughs> and I don't really know why. But anyway, they're not here. So you can go. Yeah. 
Well, how'd they die? Oh, they were torn apart they were t- limb from limb. <laughs> and then the last three of them tried to escape on the ship, and uh, and it was destroyed. So, anyway. Yeah, the ship was vaporized. <laughs> it was weird. I buried him up on that hill. I can see the cemetery all the time. I stare at it constantly. <laughs> I've been living here alone. <laughs> I buried, well, not com- I buried not him completely. with the view of my home, because I thought that <laughs> That, that, be- that cemetery is right outside my bedroom window. So, that's just, you know. Well, not completely alone. Uh, uh, Farmer Morbius has a daughter. Yes, he does. Old Farmer Morbius. Morbius has him a daughter. Who is his daughter? His Steve? daughter is Altera, played by Anne Francis. Yeah, and she's wearing a mini skirt. Yeah, and she's like all innocent and but smart. Yeah, and at the same time, she just doesn't know how to. She's never met men except for her dad. And um, we find out some very interesting things uh, uh, right now, Steve. Mm-hmm. We find out that the doctor is kind of an intergalactic super creep, yeah. but not to be uh, outdone. Jerry oh shows that he is way creepier Jer- <laughs> than the doctor is. Jerry pushes his shipmates out of the way and races yeah. to Altera's side. Literally takes his penis out and says, oh, you're innocent, huh? Have you ever seen one of yeah. these? You're not so innocent anymore, are you? Huh? Uh-huh. And then... To the point in which he he lies about his captain. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that he's like, oh, yeah, the captain, oh, he's a rapist. Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to go anywhere near him. He's a fucking rapist. He's a total rapist, unlike me, who is not. Um, unfortunately, that backfires on, on Alta because she finds that um, interesting. Yeah. Ooh, a dangerous man. And when he sees that, he's like, well, I could be a rapist, too. <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> I didn't know that flew to your boat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where are you going? Oh, she's going to go call her animal friends. Yeah, yeah. She she has friends who are a couple of deer. Yeah. And, oh, I wish I had friends who were deer. Why? I just love deer. Whatever. And also a tiger. And tigers are pretty yeah, cool, and, too. Yeah, and a tiger. And um, they are like not, hey, how did earth animals get here? <laughs> Morbius is like, look, just go. Now, we find out later that the Krell visited Earth and brought Earth animals back, and that's why Earth right. animals are. Right, right. So, more... That way, we're not confused when we see the monkey. Is that an alien tiger? Nope. No. Um, so, yeah, so Adams is like, well, uh, here's the thing, Morbius. I know you want us to just pack up and get the hell out of here, but I was expecting to find a whole bunch of people here from that other ship, and yeah. now that it's just you and your daughter and this admittedly very cool robot, I don't know yeah. what I'm supposed to do. So, we're going to have to take our ship apart to build a transmitter <laughs> so we can contact we're gonna Earth. Have to, he's like, well, how long is that going to take? Well, we literally have to take the ship completely apart and rebuild it into a communicator that it can actually pierce the space-time continuum, and so we can communicate back with Earth so they can tell us what to do, because without orders I'm kind of useless and I don't know what I'm doing, so we're going to have to make a bunker and I think we have to sacrifice three of our crew members yeah. as a blood sacrifice? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just how we have to do things. It's just the way we operate. Uh commanders in my Starfleet aren't given a lot of autonomy. Like, I have to call home for any decision I make. Now, Morbius, who wants them to leave, didn't just say, I'm sitting on top of a planet-sized machine that could probably do anything. Or, Robbie, please manufacture the equipment they need right now. That doesn't happen. They, they go back to their no, ship. No, he, he, he does offer uh, Robbie to help them a little bit to make some materials that they need. Yeah, you know, but, but not much. Yeah, he's like, here, we'll, we'll have Robbie make some lead for you. Will that help? Yeah, lead shielding. That'll be great. Oh, sure. That he carries on one, with one arm. Yeah, because he's a show-off. Yeah. He shows up the next day with, like, you know, 10 tons of lead on his arm. He's like, here's your lead. And Alta. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She, Alta, who likes to watch the sweaty men. She work. rides along. Uh-huh. This is where we find out that everyone hates Cookie, I guess. Apparently. Because, <laughs> uh, 
they use a giant electromagnet on his butt and <laughs> they take him away because I guess it's funny. But uh, then we find out that Cookie is indeed an alcoholic. Yep. And Robbie is going to become his enabler. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He, Cookie, <laughs> Cookie found out from some irresponsible crew member who let Cookie know that Robbie mm-hmm. can synthesize any food product that he wants. So he's like, hey, Robbie, could you make me some bourbon? <laughs> and, Co- and, and, and Robbie says, sure. Would 60 gallons be good? And he didn't say, that's a lot, even for me. And then become... <laughs> introspective and wonder if maybe he drinks too much am i really gonna ask this robot to make me 60 gallons of booze do it no one's here to judge you (laughs) yeah that sounds great robot can you have it here tomorrow if you find out you can kill the crew and blame it on the invisible monster that kills people yeah 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 Um, yeah. bring me that booze tomorrow morning there robot now we're lucky that cookie is an alcoholic and not addicted to space crack oh yeah because I bet Robbie could make that too. Robbie can make anything, apparently. Yeah. Just, just give him, just give him some crack. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ship, Jerry is, reveals that he is this quadrant's sexual predator. <laughs> Yeah. No, about back of the ship. Back at the... Wait, where do we start uh, just kissing her all over the place? They're near the ship, but they're not like... They're in the the general area of the ship. No, actually, they go back because it's in that little forested area behind the house. Yeah, they must go back. Here, I'm going to kiss you. And she's like, that's weird. And he's like, I'm going to kiss you again. And put your arms around. She's like, okay. Okay, now now we do it without pants on. And she's like, uh (laughs) uh-huh. And then he starts getting angry at her because she's not feeling anything. Yeah, through it all, she's like, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm sorry. Yeah, and... Before Jerry can get real super violent, the skipper shows up. <laughs> yeah, and he goes from, you know, saying, hey, Jerry, get the hell out of here, you creep, to blaming it on Alta after Jerry leaves. Yeah, because the skipper has been sitting on a whole lot of mansplaining that he needs to yeah. do for the last year on the ship. Finally, a woman and- I can condescend to. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. But what we find out, what's really nice, is that the tired, awful movie tropes have infected the rest of the universe because we get the whole, they hate each other, and then they're going to fall off. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, but he, he tells Alta that, you know, part of the problem is that she's, you know, look at what you're wearing. Like, you're you're prancing around in yeah. front of these men who've been cooped up together in this ship for a year. What They can see you, all your parts they, and your legs and your buttons. They can see your bare your legs. Things. What do you think they're going to do, Alta? Yeah. yeah. By the way, rape culture still isn't real in the future. <laughs> Uh, so so Alta goes home, right? The doctor literally says, well, that's a danger because we've been in space for a year. And you know, if, if guys don't nut. <laughs> <laughs> Have they not been jerking off? I specifically ordered them to jerk off. We're going to we're gonna kill you, Morbius, and then form a ch- uh, cha-cha rape line in front of your daughter if you're not careful. Just saying. It's human nature. <laughs> Morbius is like, please leave. <laughs> please just go. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 Alta leaves, and that night she she's back back home. She rats her rats out the skipper. Yeah, she's like these people are jerks. And Mor- Mor- Morbius goes, okay, I'm gonna go to my study to work. <laughs> And not wreck stuff as an invisible monster. <laughs> yeah. So don't bother me. Mm-hmm. And Robbie, oh, and that's right, Alta tells Robbie, because he's also a dressmaker. Yeah. Robbie, make me a dress that, that looks nice, but covers up all, you know, these things yeah. on my on my chest. All what the, are they called again? All the tantalizing breasts, parts. madam. Yes. You can cover up my breasts and my nipples. Yes, your nipples, madam. I will cover those up. <laughs> I will up. cover your nipples and your luscious, <laughs> creamy thighs. What? What did you say, Robbie? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. They will not <laughs> see any of your radiant skin. Like that? 
Time for a bath, madam. I just had a bath, Robbie. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> what did you say? Shut up. <laughs> I would pay money for Robbie to just go on a, all the pent-up anger that he's had over the years. Robbie's been different since Put my this. arm in the disintegrator. I'll show you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, Robbie's <laughs> Revenge. That would be the sequel. Robbie's Revenge. <laughs> anyway, so she's happy now that she's going to get addressed. She, everything's forgotten, right? Yeah, sure, exactly. Meanwhile, back at the ship, there's an invisible thing. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's, the guards are like, I hear breathing. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a guy outside, and he's like, there's something's breathing, and the other guy's like, shut up. Yeah, shut up. You always hear breathing. It's me. I'm breathing. <laughs> we breathe, dude. Yeah, we breathe in and out. I'm just saying, I thought I heard, like, another guy? Like, not you. I know you have asthma Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I know you... Pro I promised I wasn't going to tell anybody because you get kicked out of the Starship Guild or whatever the <laughs> fuck we belong to. I'm telling you, I heard, like, breathing. Like, like a big breathing thing. So don't look at me like that. <laughs> We're on a creepy planet, all right? I know the other guys think this green sky is cool. It's creepy. It's a creepy planet. We've been stuck <laughs> together for a year. And now we're here, and I hear breathing, and don't judge me. God damn it. I have a gun in my hand. <laughs> so it turns out the guy who heard breathing was on to something, and they should have listened to him. Yeah, but that doesn't matter to the skipper, doesn't it? No. Because the next morning, it turns out, something got on the ship and busted up a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, and the two guards are there, and he's like, oh, you thought you heard breathing, and you thought you saw, you, uh, this guy inside the ship thought that maybe he had a dream, and then the skipper gives probably the most impossible order ever, in which he says there'll be less dreaming on this ship. Yeah, and he's really <laughs> mad. He's very it's angry. Like, well, the, the dreaming wasn't the bad part, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was the part where the ship got kind of destroyed. Yeah, yeah so a, a really important piece of their equipment has been damaged. And, yeah, and, and then he goes up to Quinn and he goes, Hey, Quinn, can you fix this? And Quinn gives almost a Scotty response. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, Well, I got to do this and the other thing and all this other stuff. And uh, by the way, all of you fuckers are dead if anything happens to me. <laughs> Apparently I'm the only one that builds things and yeah. I'm the only one that knows how things work. <sighs> And then, meanwhile, we find out that Jerry is a little butthurt yeah. about the Skipper and Alta, because the Skipper's going back to go see Morbius about all the broken stuff, and Jerry's like, oh, I thought I was going to rape her, but now it turns out you're going to. Whatever, dude. What about the bro code? Yeah. <laughs> you stay behind and guard the other bros, Jerry. Whatever, Captain. You've lost your bro privileges. <laughs> you're not an away team bro anymore. You're a shit bro. Sit on that. Uh, well, I hope you and Alta are happy in your loving relationship. Oh. Asshole. Oh, believe me, Jerry. We will be. Oh! I just wanted to have sex with her. I didn't want a relationship. You, you could have had her after. You blew it, Jerry. Uh. You blew it! <laughs> <laughs> go, go, go. Who's the better man, Jerry? Who? Give me those binoculars. I think he's giving me the finger. Yes, he is giving me the finger. <laughs> he's standing up. He's standing up and giving me the finger. <laughs> um, so they go... <laughs> They go to Morbius's to Morbius's place. Yeah, and Robbie has flowers. Yeah, and then he's cruel to a monkey. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, the movie producers are cruel to a monkey because a monkey comes into the house is gonna just uh, hold a piece of fruit. Yeah, <laughs> the monkey comes in, meets its mark, and then looks for its handler. That's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do I do now? Where's my reward? And then, and then, some someone with monofilament wire pulls the monkey off stage. <laughs> 
Exactly. Exactly. Or Robbie shoots it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, but doesn't kill no, it. No, no. Just kind of shoots it with like, a repeller. Shoo, you monkey. Yeah. Damn monkeys. I thought we fumigated for you. <laughs> the monkeys will pay too. Yeah. So him and Doc show up. Yeah. And uh, they have questions for Morbius. But then uh, the skipper sees uh, Alta swimming. And then he gets angry about skinny dipping. Yeah. Well, he doesn't get angry. She's like, what's a bathing suit? And he's like, no. And we can clearly see that she's wearing like a full dress in the whole Yeah. She's meant to look like she's skinny dipping, but it's obvious the actress is not actually nude. Even, they show her get out of the water, and you can see she's wearing just a flesh-colored nightie yeah. or something. She gets up, she dries off, she says, like, I got something to show you. And he's like, oh, God, boobs. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to see. I don't know how to react to this. <laughs> but instead, she puts on this floor-length white gown with emeralds all over it. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you look uh, yeah. you look nice. You look really great. Right. I'm glad to see that you take orders. <laughs> it's nice that, that you listen to men. That's all I needed to be able to start kissing you. <laughs> and so uh, that's what happens. They kiss and they kiss and then Skipper kills one of her friends. Yep, there's, there's a tiger that uh, is up above on a rock. The tiger oh, from before. Yeah. yeah, and it jumps and Adams pulls his blaster and just disintegrates it. And he looks at Alton and he's like, yeah. you know, I had to do that, right? Right. Well, And she was like, yeah, but I don't understand why, why you wanted to kill me. And he's like, oh, don't you understand? And I'm like, I don't understand what happened just now. Do you know what happened? just knows why did the why did the tiger want to kill her i don't know because the tiger was her boyfriend maybe the tiger didn't like her new dress i guess the tiger was I like i want to know. see some more skin alta but I, I i think skipper knows he's just not telling us it's, yeah i'm not sure the way the, the the way i read that scene was that uh the the tiger jumps at her and alta is like genuinely confused and maybe adams expected that she would have known what was up with the tiger and then when she's oh. and then when she's like i have no idea what that was all about and he's like oh mm-hmm. you really don't know do you no i don't can you tell me uh no nope. please you just killed my best friend no hey where are those deer what no look Pew! i can still smell the ozone Pew! from your blaster <laughs> stop <laughs> what are you doing oh, hey, look a monkey <laughs> robbie come here <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry so, you don't get uh, to shoot anything on the ship I mean, after an afternoon of uh, kissing on his daughter and killing tigers, he goes back in, and they've been told no one goes into Morbius's study while he's working. Right. And they go, "Fuck that shit, we're going in." So they just go, and the door opens, and they go in, and there's nobody inside the study. And then they look on. There's a piece of paper on the desk, and they're like, "Was this? This must be foreign writing or something." Yeah, they say it looks and like then, Egyptian, or they they think it looks like hieroglyphics. Yeah, and um, that's when uh, they get caught, <laughs> busted by uh, Morbius. Yeah, yeah, uh, Mor- Morbius comes in and now it's time for the exposition dump of all exposition dumps. Oh boy. To save time, I'm going to put it into a poem. <laughs> Krell, they were swell. Where did they go? No one can tell. There you go. I just saved you 15 fucking minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and demonstrated once again why you of the two of us are the one who prepares. And what we find out is that the Krell were the aliens, uh, well, they're not aliens, were the people who lived yeah. on Altair before everybody else, and they died a long time ago, and they were working on some kind of advanced technology, and he's been basing all of his stuff, he built Rob, Robbie off of that, and the Krell were awesome, no, they weren't a toothpaste, and then, um, yeah, they just kind of disappeared, and we don't know where they went, but they're really awesome, I love them, I love them so much. Let's go on a tour! So where do they go, Steve? He takes them, well, first he shows them the, the laboratory, mm-hmm. where, where 
where he works, where yeah. there's all this cool equipment, and, and uh, he, shows he shows him, him yeah. he shows him the brain booster thing, uh-huh. which is also where, like a thing that kids used. Yeah, it's like it's a combination of like a toy that yeah. you can play with that you can you can if you concentrate, it'll create like holograms. Yeah. It's of, also an IQ test. Yeah, make, yeah, and it can and it can also make you smarter if you I guess if you flick that switch, if you, flick if you a switch, turn it to the make you smarter setting. And apparently, it killed the captain a long time ago because he flipped the switch. He wanted to be smarter, and then. Uh, Mor- Mor- Morbius did it, but he didn't die, and um, it doubled his IQ. And yeah. uh, then he shows him this thing that shows all the scientific knowledge of the Krell, except apparently biology and anatomy, because no one knows what the Krell look like. Yeah, they, they were modest. They didn't. They, they didn't just didn't talk about themselves that much. <laughs> It's more about the science, you know? Uh-huh. So after everyone gets IQ tests and everyone fucks around with the hologram, well, uh, after Morbius fucks around with uh, the holograms, um, we cut over to the ship, and now the ship has a murder fence. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Want to know why it's called a murder fence? Because if you walk into it, you disintegrate. Yeah. And um, I just want to say this right now. Uh, the murder fence's beams are invisible, so you're basically, if you forget that the little glowy poles... <laughs> <laughs> are glowing, you die. Yeah, there really should be a sign. But uh, Cookie needs to go uh, out and meet his pusher droid. So yeah. <laughs> uh, they let him pass the fence, and uh, Robbie has made bottle upon bottle of bourbon. <laughs> he, there's just a, a heap of, of pint bottles of bourbon. <laughs> yeah, for this poor, sad space alcoholic. And again, Cookie does not have a moment of clarity here. He, he isn't struck by the sight of the mound of bourbon and he doesn't think, oh man, mm-hmm. this is real, I have a problem. Yeah. He thinks, oh man, how am I going to get all this into the ship? Yeah. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, Morbius shows the captain that the machine, the Krell machines are huge and they go on for 20 miles in every direction and he shows them the power source and we get lots of really great composite shots and yeah. animated things and some stuff that kind of looks like a Warner Brothers cartoon and some things that look just really cool and neat and I love those, those shots. <laughs> <laughs> but he shows them, he's like, the Krell are awesome, the color great, but they all died. What are you going to do? Yeah, well. Meanwhile, a cartoon monster breached the murder fence and kills... We don't know because we cut away again. <laughs> Kill somebody. I imagine that it went something like this. Bang, bang, bang. You know, the, the fence shorts and they go, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and then one of the guys goes, I swear I heard breathing again. Fuck. Will you stop? Did you see how much trouble we got in last time? I'm just saying, I heard breathing. Jesus. We're still not listening to you. Come on. I heard breathing and I heard breathing and then someone fucked up the ship. What's going to happen this time? <laughs> exactly. But we don't find out who got killed because now we cut back to uh, Morbius's uh, office. Yeah, and he doesn't want to share. Right, they're arguing over because Adams is like, "Look, we should really tell like my government about this because this is an incredibly powerful technology. Yeah, and it doesn't seem fair that you're the only one who controls it." And mm-hmm. Morbius is like, "But I'm the only one smart enough to know how to use it. And if and there's anything I discover that I think would be of use to humanity that I think you could handle, then I'll share it with you. But otherwise, fuck off." I'm sane. <laughs> exactly. I'm a completely stable, trustworthy person. But then uh, the captain gets a boop boop and yep. uh, he picks it up and it turns out that Chief Quinn Uh-oh. has been torn apart and splashed all over the ship. All over the communications room is what they say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Morbius is like, uh-oh, spaghettios. <laughs> oh. That's what happened <laughs> that... to all of my old crew members. Yeah. Then we cut to um, spaceship <laughs> NCIS. <laughs> <in> which... <laughs> yes, yes. 
The doc has uh, made a plaster cast out of one of the footprints, and it's boy, it's boy, it's scary, Steve. Yeah, it's like a it's a big foot with a gigantic claw, like yeah, a fucking velociraptor like, claw from Jurassic Park, like on like the front of it. One toe, and the doc is like, "This thing's impossible, and it's scary, and I want to leave now. Please, let's leave." <laughs> Yeah, and also they they establish that uh, because people saw Cookie go outside the fence, and Cookie apparently was out that whole night drinking with drinking the robot. With the robot, that Cookie is now so, Robbie's alibi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they know that the robot couldn't have snuck in and done any of this because uh, he was he was out getting liquored up with Cookie. Yeah. And then so. they have a funeral for Chief Quinn, and uh, the captain's like, "I have no idea how to put the ship back together. I don't know what, what we're, we're going to do. Remember when we're going to communicate? Well, I guess we're not going to do that now. <sighs> oh wait, Morbius is here." And what is Morbius there to do? He's there to say, I told you so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I told you the bad things were going to happen. You didn't listen, listen to me. Well, goodbye. <sighs> Still not leaving. Yeah, we're not leaving. <laughs> so, no matter yeah. what happens. So that night, Jerry and the Skipper... Uh, are now guarding the ship and they brought out these weird cannons and uh, they're, you know, just in case something else bad is going to happen. And Jerry and the Skipper make up in which Jerry's like, hey, I'm sorry, I was getting all trying to rape your future girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And they do it in the nick of time because yep. <laughs> a cartoon comes back to attack them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it, it gets uh, it, it crosses through the the electric fence and, they and the, shoot the guards it with everything. Are, yeah, and it's stuck and in the fence and the electricity is surrounding it and it's screaming and yelling and people are shooting and then Jerry runs up and he tries to shoot it and then he gets picked up and he gets thrown around and <laughs> when I was a kid when I saw this movie when I was five years old this was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Not Jerry. But Jerry gets killed, and the women of the galaxy breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> oh, I felt so much better all of a sudden. Women, both human and alien, on planets around the galaxy, suddenly went, huh, suddenly I feel better, and I don't know why. I feel relieved. What about what? <laughs> I think Papa is dead, Mama. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> Um, then we go back to uh no we get we cut back to uh Mor Morbius's condo and he's like in the office he's in the Krill laboratory and all the machines are going off and he yeah. wakes, and then he hears his daughter scream and we get a little serving of red herring yeah because, because she, yeah go ahead she she had uh she tells her her dad about this terrible dream she had which sounds exactly like what just happened at the ship. Yeah. And we're like, uh-oh, maybe it's Alta. That would be interesting. That would be a really interesting way to take this thing where the Skipper and Alta can't be together because she's like an awful monster that kills people with her dreams. But we can't do that, can we? <laughs> no. Nope. So the Skipper's like, fuck this planet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised someone didn't say, it took four of us dying for you to finally say fuck the planet, Skip. <laughs> Look, I was just waiting for my orders, okay? Oh, great. Well, you're not the one that's going to have to explain to all of Jerry's wives. Yeah, wives, <laughs> plural. He's dead now, so I can say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the commander of this ship, not the cook. <laughs> so shut the fuck up. I need my bourbon. 
I make the decisions around here. So yeah, so 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 Adams and Doc hop in their car, their tractor, their and tractor. they drive back to the to Casa de Morbius. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and, we're gonna go get Morbius, and we're gonna force him to leave. And we're gonna get yeah. Alta, and we're gonna get the fuck out of here. Oh, yep. and also we're gonna go get our brains boosted because we think that that has something to do with all this shit, right? That's right. Yeah. So they get to the place, and Robbie's at the door, and he's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, nope. Nobody's gets nobody's getting in. But Morbius Alta knows what orders. to say to Robbie. Yeah, she gives some kind of like order to she cancel says, can- emergency cancellation code Archimedes, Robbie. And Robbie's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, Skipper and Alta talk. And the doc runs off and goes and kills himself. Yeah, he he jumps ahead in line. He, is what he, he plugs does. himself into the exposition machine, and then yes, he comes he does. stumbling out. And uh, he's all like, "Hey, I, I did the thing that Mo- Morbius told me not to do." And uh, here's SM exposition. I think um, uh, something they they made the machine that would allow them to not use instrumentation. They could just make things with their thoughts. But they didn't think about monsters from the id. Up oh, time to. Die glad. <laughs> yeah. And then Morbius shows up and he's an asshole. Yeah, he's like, Morbius shows up, sees the, the corpse of Doc, and basically says, Yeah, well, that's what happens. Good. Mm-hmm. Fuck him. Yeah. And then we have to ignore the awful dummy that uh, that Robbie carries back to the tractor that's supposed to be Doc. It's yeah. one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's an awful dummy, doesn't even look like a human head that is being yeah. carried back. And that's because the actor who played Doc was like, I'm not letting him carry me in that fucking robot suit. I don't suit. fall down. Yeah, Jesus. There's no, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Put a dummy in there. Uh-huh. And then... Um, the captain figures out everything when uh, he gets Morbius to tell him what the id what what the id is, and he says, "Oh, it's the subconscious." And then he goes, "Oh, I know what happened. The, you, they made the 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 Krell made the machine that can create anything, and then their subconscious, the the violent part of themselves, made them make creatures, and they destroyed themselves." And Morbius is like, "Oh, my poor Krell, <laughs> and, and also my friends." <laughs> no, he hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because right as right as the captain's about to tell him the the big old truth bomb, yeah. um, the id monster shows up coming from the southwest, and it probably yeah. wants to kill the captain or something. Yeah, and uh, nothing nothing can stop it. Can no nothing. No, they 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 close the the shields around the house that yeah. are supposed to be able to withstand anything, and the the monster just beats its way right through that. Yeah, the Morbius tells Robbie to destroy it, and then Robbie has the short circuit because Robbie knows that the monster is the id monster that Morbius is creating. Dun dun dun. <laughs> and they're like, well, thanks for telling us, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> You had that figured out all along. But Mor- Morbius doesn't want to admit that. Right. And he better have a self-realization soon or his daughter's going to die. Because right. his daughter's like, you're an asshole. And I'm going with my true love. Who's that? The captain. They- We're in love now. What? Yeah. Wait a minute. It happens. I guess. He's been here for like two days. I know I've only known like three men, but I'm totally in love with him and we're going to be together forever. Isn't that right, Captain? Sure. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They run back to the laboratory, and uh, Morbius uh, really struggles, and the captain's like, get this through your fucking head, okay? You got the brain boost, and now you can't control the, the Krell machine to make whatever you want consciously, but subconsciously, you, you turned it into a monster, and you killed all the people that wanted to leave, so you killed all your crewmates, and then you killed people over here. You did it! And yeah. he's like, no, that's stupid. Mm, I don't think so. And they close the doors that are made out of Krell metal that 
that are supposed to be indestructible, and it just melts through those, right? Oh, uh, yeah, no problem. And the captain's like, I hope you enjoy watching your daughter get torn apart by your, inter- your, your inner self, because that's about to happen in about five minutes. And then the daughter's like, you gotta do something. And then there's this great sequence in which I in which I've actually said out loud, why don't you just shoot him, Cappy? And that's when Cappy pulls out a gun, and he's gonna <laughs> shoot him! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then he does it because Morbius admits that he didn't mean that all of a sudden there's a lot being laid right on top of Morbius right now. It turns out that he's a multiple killer and he didn't mean to be one. <laughs> so when the monster finally busts in, and don't worry guys, we don't see the monster as invisible. Yeah. Uh, Morbius runs up to it and dies, I guess? He gets yeah, he, hurt. He, he renounces the monster. Yeah. And then I guess the monster goes away and he dies. Yeah, but not before telling them how to uh, turn on the machine to make the planet go boom boom. Yeah. And he says, you got 24 hours to be 100 million miles away from the planet or is gonna explode. Oh, time to die. <laughs> and Alta's a little upset. And then we cut to 100 million miles later. <laughs> Robbie has replaced Jerry as the astrogator. And I'm surprised he's not saying, so let me get this straight. I have to fuck as many women as possible on every planet we <laughs> land on. <laughs> I think you might have misunderstood your briefing, Robbie. I will begin fabricating a phallus for myself. <laughs> might I scan some of the phalluses of the men on board? <laughs> so I have a rough Someone idea of what I'm Someone please put their on. phallus in my slot so I may replicate it. Cookie? Cookie? <laughs> no. I'm no. drunk enough. I'll put anything in the slot. Thank you so much <laughs> for making it's my best friend. It's my best friend. Don't worry, Robbie. It won't be weird. <laughs> Bro code. Bro code. Bros do this. They do it in space. We were in space for a year. I'm everybody's boyfriend. It, it changes you, Robbie. It changes you. <laughs> we're it all lunatics. Mean... We're, we're real crazy up here. It doesn't mean anything. I didn't start as a drunk, okay? I started... I was so happy to be in the Star League... I went to culinary school. I'm a chef. I was the first captain. (laughs) Anyway, they all go over to the uh, viewing plate, because that's what they call it. Yep. And uh, they watch um, Altair explode a lot. Oh, boy. And, you know, they're 100 million miles away from the explosion. It would have taken them a long time to see the explosion, but, you know, I'll be willing to forgive them. Because light travels at a specific rate speed. They wouldn't have actually seen the explosion until nine minutes after the explosion itself. But that's just me being nitpicky. And then uh, Alta's upset because her home is destroyed and her dad is dead. And Skipper goes, oh, well, no, he'll be well known as, like, the story we tell people to not be a dick. And um, (laughs) also trying to be a god is bad. So, do you have that to live up to, Altair? Altera, woman who's named after a monster planet that tried to kill us? Maybe you want to change your name. Maybe you completely destroy your entire life from the planet that you're from. How does Mrs. Skipper sound? What? <laughs> the end. <laughs> so, Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's uh, my friend. How do you feel about this 1956 science fiction uh, Kodak... Wait, was it Kodak that did the color? Eastman, Eastman color, yeah. cinemascope, super widescreen extravaganza, forbidden planet. Ooh. 
I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. It's one of my favorite movies, and um, it's it, it's maybe the the best example of one of my favorite subgenres, which is the the cheesy 1950s sci-fi adventure movie. Mm-hmm. Like I just I love so many of these types of movies, and uh, it doesn't even matter if they're actually good. <laughs> I just love the aesthetic and the that I, I love like the projected technology from the 50s. Yeah. I love like how the science fiction writers and filmmakers in the 50s were trying to forecast what space travel in the 22nd or 23rd century would be like but they all, all they had to go on was 1950s technology mm-hmm. and so that's why you have something like Robbie who is this incredibly sophisticated robot who can do all these amazing things but still makes noises like an adding machine and he moves at three miles an hour <laughs> and yeah and it's just like it's just I love I love everything about that and this is actually this is a good movie like this is I don't love it just because it's it's kind of a you a don't great, like it just because of the aesthetics. Yeah, it has all of that stuff, but I think it actually is a good movie. Now, it's not terribly character-driven. No. Uh, there's, other than uh, Morbius and Altera a little bit, you know, none of the characters really come come out as people. I would movie, say that Morbius is the only one that has a real arc. Oh, yeah, Morbius is the only one who has a character arc, and, and, and the only one who makes really meaningful decisions. You know, uh, well, and, Alta and, makes some meaningful decisions too. Yeah, but I mean, the like the 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 fate of of Alta and the commander at the end sort of rests on Morbius. You know, True. if he if he doesn't if he doesn't admit that he is the cause of all of the problems and step up, you know, the, I mean, I guess we can assume that well, maybe Adams would have just shot him and then that would have solved <laughs> the problem. But but Morbius has that decision to make, um, and so it's not a terribly character driven movie. It's very plot driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that that's okay, you know. Not every movie has to be a character study. Uh, the the fact that the characters are mostly just types and they're sort of slotted into their customary roles in the story, yeah, uh, doesn't bother me because it's all very well executed. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks gorgeous. It, oh, yeah. it was all the whole thing was shot on a soundstage. Even the the exteriors were all soundstage stuff. So you get those beautiful matte paintings in the background and for those this wide huge shots. like my favorite set is not his house, but the set that they did for, which is underneath the saucer as it when it landed and they painted this humongous cyclorama yeah that, that is nearly I, I think it's a full half of a circle that goes all the way around it they, they used up an entire set it's a ma- massive set and it's gorgeous oh it's it, it's amazing it really sets up the scale of the ship and makes it feel real and even it's even though it's a ridiculous flying saucer um it really adds to the to the phys- physicalness of the of this of everything that's going on there you know what I mean now oh, it would have been now it would have been CG bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can't really get uh, movies like this anymore where, where the, the special effects, when you watch them today, are sort of right on that line between good and just kind of quaint, you yeah. know, where you're yeah. like, oh, that's neat, you know. Uh-huh. Um, they're not exactly convincing. You don't you don't believe you're watching anything real happening, but they're no. very well done. They're very well designed. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of demands on the actors. They basically just have to say their lines and hit their marks and mm-hmm. they, there's not a, there's not a lot of very memorable dialogue uh, but it tells a very simple story with a classic sci-fi hook and you know I mean we're both huge Star Trek fans it's impossible oh, yeah. to watch this movie and not think about all of the things that Star Trek sort of just borrows wholesale from it not yep. just in terms of characters and, and, and plots but themes you know that, mm-hmm. that, that that's a classic it's a classic popular science fiction theme but a classic Star Trek theme as well the idea that you know 
know, the scientist has has wrought unintended consequences, and now he has to the, be, before he can even save the day, he has to admit that he screwed up. Yeah, and that's like the most difficult part for Morbius mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. actually come to terms with the fact that he's the one responsible for all this destruction. Yeah, there are a lot of Star Trek plots which revolved around the crew figuring out what happened, and basically they're just there to figure out what happened. And right. then the story's the, not actually about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, I just yeah, like I say, it's it's uh, an incredibly well done, well executed example of one of my favorite kinds of movies. I love. I mean, I, my my heart belongs to popular science fiction adventure. I'm, mm-hmm. I've never been like all due respect to like you know classic hard sci-fi. I know a lot of people sort of you know veer in the other direction and they love like really serious hard science fiction and they don't feel as connected to stuff like this or Star Trek. But my heart has always been with that stuff. I have always been the guy who is the fan of like the 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 cheesy adventure pulp sci-fi. Yeah. And uh and Forbidden Planet is that. And one of my favorite movie titles ever. Forbidden Planet is such mm-hmm. an awesome title for it's like the perfect title for a science fiction story. Forbidden Planet. And uh, I don't know, I just I just I love this movie. Yep. I just really really like this movie. I love this movie movie too. And we're kind of the same. I love Golden Age sci-fi. I love yeah. pulp magazine science fiction. And this is probably the only movie that does that genre justice that actually invested the money time and money into taking that genre as seriously as it could Um, not only just on the aesthetics I mean the entire nothing takes place on earth you know it all takes place in space and it takes place on this on this other planet Um, just from the designs of of Altair 4 of the planet itself from their spaceship which is not much more than a flying saucer but um, what was nice was to see in a movie like this that they bothered that when they show the ship flying in space that those those shots of the ship flying in space it is not a ship on wires that's mm-hmm. wobbling around they didn't try to do some sort of stupid smoke in space you know they the, the the planets look like planets they don't look like you know someone arbitrarily painted continents onto a beach ball and then shot it <laughs> they took time with their special effects in this one um the and it's it's i'm not going to say you're going to be blown away by the special effects but the special effects considering for 1956 they were very 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 impressive um the number of sets that they built i think are a total of maybe three or four uh total for the entire movie but the the sets are well done and what i actually what i find very interesting and probably very more influential was the way that the characters interacted with the world that they were inhabiting a lot of other sci-fi that didn't have at the time that didn't have the budget um they would write everything in as dialogue if they bothered to spend the time set wise so in other words um and i'll use this as an example from forbidden planet they show the 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 ship come in and land and it's it's discharging this kind of energy in a round pattern as it's landing down and then it finally touches down the 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 the, the landing platforms come out and they come out and if you'll notice on the ground there is a darkened pattern where that energy beam was that was allowing them to land and so it it looks like the part of it has been darkened from the from the landing beam right no one no one mentions it no one says anything about it it's just part of the set decoration and someone bothered and said well you know it's going to be darker where it landed because it was being shot with energy well in 
other science fiction movies, they would want to point that out because they bothered to take the time to do it. And someone would have gone, hey, look at that. <laughs> the energy beam. And then they'd cut to a close-up of it and they'd go, oh, yeah. We really, really spent some money darkening this patch of ground. When <laughs> And that's bad writing. In this one, there's tons of stuff in here that go unexplained or un unremarked upon. There's a, a scene in which they look up the record for Mobius, right? While they're talking oh, yeah. to him on the radio. And the doc goes and he grabs this little thing and he puts a little piece of plastic in it and he goes, oh, here it is. And he's looking at this little tiny box thing. And he's like, oh, here it is. Uh, Edward Mobius. He was a philologist, you know, a language expert. No one bothers to say, hey, doc, what's that thing that you're talking, that you're looking at? What is that right. fucking thing in your hand? It's 1956. There are no iPads. There are no, there's no elect- handheld electronic devices. There's no, you know, it's just a thing in his hand. No one bothers to explain it. In other, in other films of the time, they would have gone on this huge exposition about this gadget that he has on his hand. And the, this movie is lousy with gadgets. Mm-hmm. And they're just using them. No explanation needed. They're just using them. There's a sequence in which uh, they get a call from the chief while they're at Mobius' house. And he's like, I want to check in. Um, and he goes, okay, yeah, everything's fine. And he says, okay, well, uh, can you, I, I need to, basically the implication is the chief needs to actually see that everything's okay. So he takes his little communicator thing and he's like scanning it around so that he can see everything. And none of that is explained in dialogue. It just is a <laughs> thing that happened. And it's that kind of writing that I kind of appreciate. Is it perfect? No, because there's tons of exposition in this movie because they kind of have to. I I was, when I was watching it, I was like, wow, there's a lot of exposition about the Krell. But then I was like, how else are they going to be able to tell this story if someone isn't there to tell us what it is? How would they tell that visually without, you know, Morbius having this info dump, which is what it is about the Krell. And so I felt that the exposition that's in here is perfect for when it's needed and gone from the rest of it, right? So <clears throat> aside from that, with the economy of storytelling, which it has, there's lots of areas where there's sparse dialogue and a lot of the whole sequence where the id monster is about to attack the ship is probably one of the best filmed for the time in which they really ratchet up the tension where it doesn't matter what you know um you know um um a little person in a costume could have walked through that fence by the time they got up there <laughs> but they had built it to such a point that, and it would have been terrifying because they built it to such a point that um anything would have been terrifying as soon as it hits the fence what hits the fence a giant cartoon monster that terrifies five-year-old jason to the point in which he never wants to watch science fiction ever again but that's not the point it was the all the stuff that was leading up to that point you know where they're hitting it they're they're shooting it with these and i'll also say this excellent energy weapons that seem more dimensional than anything in star wars yeah the the energy weapons in this movie are far more believable in star wars and maybe it's because they had more time to animate it better but um the the laser blasts in all the star wars films seem very flat and they all have always felt like they've been overlaid you know this one they actually feel like those beams are present in in the shot so technically this film is fantastic and i will say technically even now it's fantastic um the storyline is influential you know let's face facts it influenced star trek without Big this time. film without this film god knows what star trek would have turned into or if it or if it would have ever existed at all and the other thing is is that this movie is unique that like i said this movie didn't make enough money for there to be 900 other big budget well-made science fiction movies they they made this one and everyone oh that's nice and then they went right back to b films <laughs> yeah. and i love those b films i really do but it's nice to see this genre get treated with this much attention care and respect this movie does not feel like it was made quickly and you know that they cut corners or did anything like that now are some of the ethics of the people in the movie a little hinky sure but it's 1956 red-blooded men in 1956 cooped up in a ship for a year will rape anything as soon as they get off a ship <laughs> apparently it's just the way it is and we we overhype the rapey aspect of it it's not nearly as bad but you would never get away with what they got away yeah. with 
you wouldn't be able to put that in a movie now what they were doing in 1956 so no. um, overall yeah guys this uh, this movie punches for all of my soft points and uh, it's everything that I, I really really like and so um, if you're someone that doesn't necessarily appreciate this this movie may seem a little draggy even though it is the perfect length for a film mm-hmm. it's 93 fucking minutes long you might think oh it's a little draggy and uh, there's not much dialogue and uh, no one gets naked and I want blood in my movies or something like that you may not dig it but if you like the history of film and if you like the, this aesthetic and you've never seen it then I, or, or even better yet if this is a movie that you hear people reference and you've never watched I would recommend watching it oh yeah so as far as I'm concerned classic stamp it put it in the classic box let's wrap it wrap it up in bubble wrap it's, it's good to go <laughs> And also, a shame on you, Film Registry. You didn't put this into your Film Registry vault until 2013, you fucks. Yeah, well, what was what, taking you so long? They were they were waiting longer than Commander Adams waited to get the hell off of that planet. <laughs> So, Steve, classic? Oh, yes, absolutely. One of the great science fiction films ever for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I me put too. it very much in the same category as, like, you know, Star Wars or the best of the Star Trek films. Or I mean, I yeah, yeah. I, it's one of my favorite movies. Yep, me too. And now it's time for us to recommend other films, Steve. Do you have another yeah. film you like to recommend? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I have a movie to recommend from, actually, it came out a year before Forbidden Planet. Okay. And it's from the same basic genre and I, I said earlier that uh, the, one of the things I love about Forbidden Planet is it has that beautiful 1950s sci-fi aesthetic but yeah. it also has a great really well told story to go along with it the movie I'm going to recommend has that sci-fi aesthetic arguably just as good if not even better than Forbidden Planet shut doesn't, your mouth <laughs> doesn't quite have the story okay. up to the same level but I'm recommending it because I, I do consider it to be a, a good example of this genre in a classic movie and especially if you are like a special effects nerd and you want to see some very effective very well done early space special effects uh-huh. uh, this is the movie for you I'm recommending a movie uh, directed by Byron Haskin produced by the great George Powell who directed all kinds of movies like this all, a, a, a plethora of great 1950s sci-fi movies and it is Conquest of Space <laughs> uh, don't come for the story no uh, but but come for the the technical aspect the special effects this is where you get like a beautiful sort of wheel shaped space station that that was lifted and done uh, for Stanley Kubrick's 2001 a space Odyssey uh, I mean you, it's and and the, the the story is focused mostly on a, a mission to Mars so there's there's like you know really cool space station shots and and rockets taking off and rockets landing and I mean if you're if you're interested Interested in classic golden age sci-fi movie special effects, it's hard to get any better than Conquest of Space. It's a really, really, really well done uh, special effects movie. Uh, again, as for the characters and the story, I mean, it's not. I for me personally, I can watch it and enjoy it, but it's not like a, it, you're you're not going to show up hoping to see a great story. You're going to show up hoping to see amazing special effects uh, that still hold up today, even though as with Forbidden Planet, like it's not the it's not the 
same kind of special effects you would expect to see in a movie today and say, oh, that was those are great special effects. Yeah. But for the time and for the methods they had available to them, for practical effects, model work, uh, chroma key work, uh, some really, really well done stuff. And just a really great prominent example of this awesome genre uh, of films that we've been talking about in this show. So I my recommendation is Conquest of Space. Cool. Yeah. Now, as everyone knows, I try to recommend a film from the same year. And I also try to recommend a film that we will probably never uh, review on this show because it's not considered <laughs> a classic. And there were a lot of really good films in 1956. And at first I was going to recommend Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But you know what? We're probably going to wind up reviewing that fucking movie. So I can't yeah. recommend that. So I did some research, and then there was a movie that I did like that came out that year, and it's a Hammer film. Oh. And it was supposed to be a sequel to The Quartermass Experiment, but then they decided not to do that for whatever reason. I don't know. There's a little British film about a radioactive blob that comes out of the Earth <laughs> two full years before we ripped it off and turned it into the blob. <laughs> and that movie is called X the Unknown. Oh, yeah. Directed by Leslie Norman and Joe Joseph Lucy, written by Jimmy Sangster. It stars Dean Jagger, Edward Champman, and my favorite, Leo McKern. <laughs> and it's basically what I just told you it's about. It's about a big radioactive blob <laughs> that comes out of the earth. That's all you need to know. Um, it's uh, actually a very well-made film. Um, Hammer Hammer has a reputation for blood and all that stuff. This is before their their big reputation. This when Boy, when, when Hammer discovered color, they really changed how they were going to make movies. But this is another one of those films where they don't show a lot of, of stuff. It's a lot of, look at that. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They're all British. Oh, dear. Look at that. <laughs> it's, it's a radiation blob monster. It's going to destroy us. Help. It's uh, a movie in which all of the main protagonists are middle-aged men <laughs> who look like they come from the Ministry of Things Going Kerfuffle. And it's, uh, it's just one of those, it's well shot. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie in the world. If you haven't heard of it, I don't blame you. Don't think that you oh what am I what have I done with a lot if I didn't see X the Unknown it's a little sci-fi horror movie that just kind of it's it's fun to watch and don't expect you know special effects or heroes that have square jawlines it literally does look like three clerks <laughs> yes <laughs> are, are battling this radiation blob monster um go seek it out I think you can watch the entire movie on YouTube I think it's up on YouTube right now um but X the Unknown in which there's a radiation blob monster. They should have just called it Radiation Blob Monster. They should have. And we're not really going to release a film called Radiation Blob Monster, are we? No, let's call it um, X. Let's put X in as a placeholder. Okay. The Unknown as a placeholder. And then we'll come back to it later. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Jolly good. It was originally going to be called Oh Dear Monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish they called it that. And you, you know, the you mentioned uh, written by Jimmy Sangster, who was yep. the screenwriter for Hammer Films in the fifties. Oh, yeah, he, he he wrote Horror of Dracula. He wrote uh, the first two Hammer Frankenstein movies, starring Peter uh -huh. Cushing. Uh, he was the man. So yeah, yeah really good wrote, pedigree. He wrote Horror of Dracula, uh, Mild Consternation of Dracula. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dracula has a headache. Displeased with the cooking of the salmon, Dracula. <laughs> Dracula doesn't want to answer the phone. <laughs> Stop calling me, damn it. I just want to watch Netflix. Leave me alone. No, but it would be the Christopher Lee Dracula, so he wouldn't even want to talk at all. <laughs> it would be a stand-in. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, well, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, hey, Steve. Yeah, man. We got to do this again. Yeah. Do you, do, do you have any idea what we could possibly do to well, follow I, this? I think that after doing a science fiction classic, we naturally should go to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> You didn't even try to set it up. You just fuck said that. I don't with care. It. I know what we're going to do. You know 19- what we're going to do. Well, fuck the pretense. We're doing Ferris Bueller's teen Day comedy. Off. Yeah, to hell with it. We're doing <laughs> Ferris Bueller. That's right. The comedy classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Everybody's favorite movie. That's right. It was even This will be a first where I give away how I feel about a film before yeah. we're even doing the film. We're not even in that episode. That's right. So if you guys want to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off before we review it, you have two weeks to do it because we're going to do, we're going to take that movie and we're going to look at it and say, what the, f- I'm sorry. Um, we're going to take a look at it and see if it lives up to being classic film, right, Steve? Yes. Yes, and we we're, are. We're going to be fair and impartial and not let our prejudice about no. our memories of the film take <laughs> how we're going to, maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised and it's going to be better than we thought and not the story of some fucking asshole who manipulates his friends and, and, and blows off school and teaches other kids, hey kids, blow off school because you know what? Life is short and I'm an asshole. Did I mention that already? Exactly. Whoops. <laughs> we're going we're going to avoid all that. That's and right. We're going we're gonna... to give it a fair day in court. <laughs> that should have been the sequel. Ferris Bueller's Day in Court. <laughs> you committed so many crimes in the last film. So. <laughs> You just can't do most of that stuff, you know? <laughs> Cameron's on the stand. Yeah, well, he then he just kind of stole my dad's car, and uh, <laughs> he made me go with him, and we had dinner and a baseball game, and then he tried to run it backwards, and then it fell off the jack, and it was destroyed, and um, he convinced me at the time that it was a good thing, and then my dad beat me. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, he's really manipulative. You don't understand how it can be. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bueller, could you please stop dancing on top of the desk and pay attention in court, please? <laughs> this is not footloose, Mr. Bueller. I know you think you're like a Bugs Bunny character where nothing sticks to you, but um, we're looking at ten years. <laughs> Bailiff, would you please handcuff Mr. Bueller to his chair? Thank you. <laughs> if he won't sit still, shoot him. <laughs> So tune in for our review. <laughs> Why is Ferris Bueller being tried in Alabama, by the way? <laughs> That's where they caught him. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Nine hours later, they caught him in Alabama. <laughs> so let me understand this. As your duty as a principal was to find this truant child, and you wound up going to the hospital for tetanus. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> he takes truancy very seriously. We'll find out. We'll find out more about that. We'll in the find next out show more again. when we review Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right, Steve? Yeah, that's yeah. I, that's okay. what we just yeah. So until next time, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Now, excuse me, my evil self is at that door, and I have no power to stop it. <laughs> Wait, no power at all? Nope. Wait, your regular old wooden door? Yeah, it's right. He's about to just break in any second. Uh, Steve, I have come no on. power to stop it. None at all whatsoever. Mm-mm. What if you thought happy thoughts? It could turn into a big fluffy bunny. Oh, let me try that. Okay. Oh, okay, I'm thinking happy thoughts. They're making a sequel to Superman Returns. Oh, that's not a ha- Oh, Superman They're Returns. A sequel to Superman. Uh, I forgot. Happy thoughts Brand- for some are not happy for others. Brandon Routh is going to play Superman <laughs> I, again. I changed my mind. Go ahead and let him break into <laughs> okay, the door. Okay, come on in. <laughs> oh, it is Brandon Routh. He's super, and he's in a Superman costume. Steve, put your shirt back on. Oh, <laughs> uh, damn. I, I really, I really have to go. <laughs>
I recently rewatched that movie. You did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so, do you want to do this now? <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>